follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Gentlemen, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah, um, I'm not as ill as I've been the last month, so... Well, that's, it's good to hear you're on the upswing. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Uh, I think Matt died on us. Oh, no. Well, we'll check in with him in just a second. The... Um, we do need to uh, go ahead and do our shout-outs. The first one is to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four, capital C in Corners, capital P in Podcast, no spaces, to save 10% off your order. And today, September 1st, 2020, they just launched a, uh, a new set of apparel. So uh, they've got some they've got some good stuff going. There's um, there's a Nasty Boys inspired shirt that's part of it. Uh, there is, hang on just a second. I'm pulling up the whole list. There's a there's an Al Snow one. Um, there's kind of a cla- classic old school. I can't tell if it's like an NWA or AWA top logo for it. There's a uh, uh, the new collar and elbow. Uh, drop, Matt. Oh, okay. Yeah, you sent a link. I didn't. Yeah. Sorry, I was distracted because I was talking to my wife about how much uh, buying all new appliances has cost us. <laughs> oh yeah, um, that's not cheap. No, no. Oh sure. no, it's it because I had to because now that it's like I own it, I, I I can't just if it breaks I can't just like call my building yeah. and have it yeah. replaced because I, I am the building owner. Yes. Uh. So I had to buy guarantees and that up the cost, but it's basically over six thousand dollars yep. that I had to buy. We um we go to we go to a local scratch and dent place here to try and um get stuff a little cheaper when things break. But even then, you're still paying out like a, a like a decent fridge that doesn't suck is going to run you at least a grand. Yeah. Oh yeah, no this this was at least that. Anyway, I'm sorry to digress. They have it looks like there's an X file shirt. Yeah. There's an X-Files shirt. I like this Nasty Boys one. <laughs> I, I showed that it. to my wife, and uh, okay. she looked at it and went, what am I supposed to say that? And I'm like, well, it's, it's a Nasty Boys takeoff. She goes, oh, 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 okay. I get it. I get it. I, I, I don't know what she was thinking was going to happen. I haven't worn it yet, but I actually did a while back buy a shop. WWE shop had um had a Nasty Boys like retro shirt, and I bought it. Oh yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Oh look, there's a brother jacket. I kind of want. 
Did you I have to pay this. extra to get the the WWE one in non burlap sack? <laughs> they're the quality of their stuff is not good, no, and it, their their designs are terrible. You know what's weird though is the quality of their shirts was like almost like an overnight change. It happened fast, didn't it? Because I bought something like I bought some New Day stuff just a couple years ago, and the quality like I was really impressed with the quality, and then. Matt sent me one um, two years ago, I think. And this is probably only like two years apart. And I was just like, wow, this is not the same quality as um, what I got just recently. That's part of the reason I like the champion for collar and elbows because they, um, you know, they make, they they put their stuff on really good material and their designs are not, you know. My only complaint is my... um, my collar and elbow shirts are magnets for anything that I am eating to stain it. Yeah, the shirts you really like kind of end up doing that, don't they? Yeah, because like the I have the 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 lion one, which is like king, a sport of kings or whatever. Yeah, and um, that one that one I don't bring out much anymore because. For some reason, I always seem to be eating pizza or spaghetti, and I just, like, red sauce all over it. <laughs> but that's that's part of why we affiliate with them is because they make good stuff, and their designs don't look like they were they were thought up by a middle schooler. So um, that's, that's our collar and elbow shout-out. We got another shout-out, though, and I'm going to hand the ball to Matt for that. Uh, that would be to the man himself, Orlando Colon. Uh, Orlando Cologne has been known to wear a mask uh, at times when he wrestles, but <laughs> he is uh, he's much better without a mask. The the whole matador gimmick was not good. No, no. I mean, why would you want to hide a, a handsome face like that? Yep. You know, I still I still am surprised every time you say Orlando. I keep expecting it to be Epico, and you think I would have gotten I know I change by now. I, yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that you know with uh, well not Corona hasn't ended, but I mean obviously shows are running a little more frequently they're even starting to have uh, fans come into attendance and we're seeing places uh companies like aew have more and more outside talent pop up i'm hoping that orlando can maybe pop up you know yeah. i don't i don't care for like the what wwe is doing with the zoom thing like i find it highly distracting you know i i, I nowadays i don't really give props a lot to wwe um, but I did see some of what was it payback? This pa- is that the pay per view payback? Yeah. yeah. I watched some of it just because um, there I li- I was doing chores. I just threw it on as background, and I watched some of the the pay per view. And I will say like while it, it can't replicate crowds, I actually thought it was better than just what they were doing, which is like nothing. It does look slightly better. It's. It, it, it gave like a kind of an appearance of, of people in the stands. The the laundry list of what people found on screen at Raw was pretty oh hilarious though, because yeah. they found Chris Benoit, they found a Klansman. Yeah. What else yeah. did they find? Uh, somebody. This is the really dark and disturbing one. Someone threw a, I think like a ISIS execution on. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I thought I, I have a really kind of dark sense of humor. I thought that the, the someone throwing up Crispin Waugh's face on there, I thought that was funny. But uh, I, I was in, in the Wrestling Observer group. 
uh, there's a couple who were like, that's not funny. It's like, no, I actually think it's hilarious. It's, 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 um, it's been longer than a decade, so it can, it's allowed to be somewhat humorous now. Yeah. It's one of those things where some of that stuff you would figure someone would be screening the people watching and would get caught. But the Benoit thing could could slip by because they wouldn't notice it or something like that. So yeah. I can see some humor in that. I think um, I think I'm surprised that someone hasn't just put like ho- hardcore pornography on their screen. That yeah, I, I'd be surprised if someone didn't try. Yeah, they'd probably catch that quicker than even like I'd say an ISIS execution. Yeah, uh, there was a couple that I felt. Well, there's one that I guess in the WWE world, it's not harmless. Someone did throw up a fire Velveteen Dream yes. uh, poster, and that that they didn't catch that one, but that one's kind of funny. Yeah. And then there was one that there's one that I would consider harmless. I actually that was uh, pretty amusing, but also good marketing. Is that during it, someone just uh, during their Zoom call, someone just threw up the Game Changer Wrestling logo. Nice. <laughs> so that was kind of prominently displayed there for a bit. That's hilarious. Someone well, in PWO did it, and they talked about the experience, and they said the experience was not great. They said it was like super laggy, and like you got extra angles to the match, but it was so la- laggy that it really didn't um, didn't benefit you to like watch the Zoom. He said it was right. kind of cool, but like they need to work some stuff out because it was super laggy. Was he also given instructions on by the WWE on how to react to things? No, yeah. but he said like he said, as far as he could tell, like any noise made did not like seem to come through on the show. So he wasn't sure if they were like piping stuff or not. <clears throat> oh, when I watched it on pay per view this past Sunday, the, I could not. It was just you would see people's reactions. Yeah. There was no sound, as far as I could tell. Yeah, so I. It seems like <clears throat> it, it seems like an interesting idea. I don't. I don't know. Visually, it's just weird. Uh, it's weird, but it, I feel it is. It does actually add something. The uh, interesting, the most interesting wrinkle that I've seen from the Thunderdome setup, and this is not, this isn't great because it was the very first thing they did with it. But the Fiend's entrance with all the screens there and that sort of stuff and how they, they worked all that in was really cool. But, um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't, just, I honestly haven't been engaged enough to really watch it. I, I don't think I'd pay for that experience to be honest with you. Do you have to pay for it? I don't know. I know they are charging like 150 bucks for like two minutes of FaceTime with Drew McIntyre SummerSlam weekend. <laughs> yeah. That, that's like getting a cameo or something. Well, I was just thinking, like, God, I'd hate to be Drew McIntyre and have to deal with, like, that that stuff. Hey, that's, how you doing? That, that's, that's really more for, I think, for kids. Because uh, the, if you guys, or at least Brad probably knows, like, IVP videos. Yeah. That guy actually... He me that they have a sale. I need to check that out. Yeah, he. Uh, I I subscribe to his Patreon. I think I've mentioned it before. It's five dollars a month, and he sends you a link to a Google Drive doc that has the ISO files for probably like two dozen shows or discs. It's a fantastic deal for like the amount of money you put up there. He also follows us on Twitter. Um, 
I've interacted with him a little bit. He's a nice guy. He, I think, shelled out the money for a phone call like for his daughters uh, to talk to Bailey. Okay. And that apparently like was a really big thing. Like the, the his kids loved it. Uh, Bailey was very gracious. But if you real talk, I know she like she's a heel. But if if everything I've heard about Bailey, like she actually does interact well with fans, especially kids. She's very uh, accommodating of her time. That's um so. If if you gave me access to anyone on the roster, um, mm-hmm. it would probably be her or Oscar that I would pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it was Oscar, I feel like you would probably be like, I, I want to know all about the weird foods you're gonna eat on your YouTube channel. I watch her I watch her YouTube channel, and I tell my wife like, man, if I was friends with her, I would be five hundred pounds. Like all she does is fucking eat. Yeah. Like she, she, there was one she was cooking ramen or something, and she was eating while she was cooking. I'm just like, oh my god! Like I could not hang out with this person. Like she would kill me. Like my, like I would just die of diabetic shock. Like after like day two. Because some of her videos are just like, oh hey look, I just got this huge ass box of like junk food I love from Japan. Like let's eat it. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, okay. Like I'm down. You should watch it. She doesn't really. She doesn't speak much English, but like she, um, her her channel's fun. It's yeah, the, it's, I'm looking at that list, and it's I'm sorry, it, Brett, go ahead and finish your thought. It's it's her playing, it's her playing Euro Truck Simulator or American Truck Simulator or eating is what her YouTube channel is. Huh. Let me see. I'm looking at the list right now, and it'd be like, ah, if I'm gonna get on the phone with someone, it's it's gonna be. Like Samoa Joe or R Truth or Mustafa Ali or maybe Shelton, I guess. Is Big E on there? I'd I'd be down for. Oh yeah, Big E is on there. How can we forget Big E? What in the? Oh, that's because it was just the raw list. Uh, AJ, AJ, God, how would I not want to talk to AJ Styles? What's? See, but like I couldn't, I I wouldn't be as interested in AJ Styles because like. What I would want to talk to AJ about is not wrestling. I'd be like, man, like, where can I get that handheld Neo Geo thing you've got? Because, like, I, I've i been looking for those, and they're, like, $600, and I'm super jealous you have one. <clears throat> he'd sure, probably be happy. To... Yeah, he'd probably be happy to talk about it. Yeah, and then they'd, like, chew me away while he – and he'd be like, no, I want, I want to talk about – No, 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 bring him back. Yeah. Those guys would probably love to talk about anything wrestling related, and that's not like a knock. I mean, obviously that's their career, but it would be like a nice change of pace, probably for them, because yeah. everyone wants to know. Like they probably hear like the same questions over and over again. No, when I went to Mick Foley's comedy show, everyone was wanting to talk about him for wrestling, and I mentioned his appearances on Opie and Anthony, and you could just see his eyes light up when he was like, "Oh my god!" Like they they don't want to talk about wrestling. <laughs> Well, that's all that they that's all anybody talks to him about. So of course, the opportunity to talk about something other than work would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? No matter how much you love your job, sometimes you just need a break. Um, Unless it's like Austin or like Scott Hall where like you'd pr- if you brought up like old wrestling with them, I'm pretty sure you'd have to like crowbar them off of you after a while. Dude, I'd love to just sit and talk wrestling theory with him. But have you have you have you heard Scott Hall's appearance on Austin's podcast where they were just nerding out about stuff and Scott Hall's like, man, who do you think's got the best drop kick? Like, here's my list. 
I'd have <laughs> to go, but I, I meant to go and pull that and listen to it. That's that that would be a good that would be a good thing to listen to while I'm mowing. I have a big yard, so I have lots of that's kind of Zen time for me as I put in my headset and get on the mower and listen to a podcast while I do. Yeah, oh, uh, I could talk to I've, how did I for, I could talk to Cesaro. I could call up Cesaro and be like, "Hey, man, let's talk some League of Legends," and he'd be like, "Oh, let's do." Be fun. It'd be like, hey, Cesaro, like, if you hang out with me, I'll buy you Starbucks. And he's like, can I have two? Like, yes. <laughs> Send your riot points you hang out with me, man. Let's do this. <laughs> so, um, you know, you can tell we're in for a night when we have to start the podcast because we're talking about the subject matter too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, this has actually been in our, like, this has been in our queue for quite a while, but... Um, I haven't been able to pull the matches because I've been the last week is the first time that I have not been like strung out on Benadryl. So, um, I was actually able to do it. Um, so we are doing a showcase and this is actually, this is going to be the start of us delving deeper into Japan. So tonight's episode, we are doing a showcase on, uh, Hushin Thunder Lager. And, um, we, I picked things that I thought was going to be good, but we ended up with, like, a real murderer's row of, like, quality matches tonight. Each match kind of different than the, the last. They're, yeah. they're all very different matches. And some were surprising in, like, the, the... I would say... I would say all but one match surprised me in the turn they took. Because... Uh, I was along for the ride for each of them, but some of them went in directions I didn't expect. That's one way of putting it. <laughs> but um, what? so so what what we're gonna do is so um, we're kind of using this as like a backdoor route to get Shad into Japanese wrestling more. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I've told you there's a, there's a. And we're going to do this. This is on the chain, but there's a front door route that I'm that I'm asking to go through. So yeah, we'll so, get there. Um, I thought I thought Matt and I could briefly discuss before we get to Liger. Like, I guess when we got into Japanese wrestling more, um, I guess I'll start. So I think it was about 1998 when I think Chono and Tenzan came over with the tag belts and like British Bulldog and Neidhart. Um, challenged for them, and I think Norton had the IWGP title on a set of Nitros. I feel like he had it for like a month's worth of, sh- worth of shows, but I bet he only showed up once or twice. So then I was kind of interested in this whole, like, hey, there's this, um, there's this whole other, like, world of wrestling that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then, like, the, the first Fire Pro game hit on the GBA probably around 2001. Fire Pro Advance. Yeah, Fire Pro Advance, which got me even more interested because all of the promotions were represented. And then I think late 2001, I finally took the plunge and I ordered my first three VHS tapes online. I got the, the 1994 Super J Cup, the 1995 Super J Cup, and mm. then the J Crown tournament, and these were VHS tapes, and this was like old school mail, so I didn't get them for a couple weeks. But then, um, 
But needless to say, that was the beginning of a lot of VHS tape buying until DVD became more popular. <clears throat> yeah, for me, um, I was talking with the guys right before this. The, I've, I guess I was first exposed to Japanese wrestling in like early 93 because I, I started watching wrestling in like mid-92. Uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, exposure at that point either in the WWF or the or WCW uh, to Japanese stuff, but in 93, WCW, early in 93, WCW aired, um, they put up on pay-per-view the New Japan Super Show 3, uh, and that was like, a, it was like a $10 pay-per-view, so I was able to easily convince my parents to buy it for me, and that... The reason they put it up on pay-per-view here in the States is because it had a lot of WCW guys. It had, like, uh, the Steiners, I think, were in it. It definitely had Sting and had, like, Ron Simmons. You had a few, uh, like, notable faces on the show. uh, And I was exposed to kind of the Japanese wrestling world at that point. And I was really fascinated by it. Um, And then I had also, like, was able to rent some shows, like, from 1989. I remember, like... Which was the one that had like the Thunderdome cage that in '89? That was um, Starcade. No, <clears throat> was it Sting and Flair against like yeah. Funk and Muda? Yeah, that would have been. I think that was Starcade or Halloween Havoc. It was one or the other. Okay, actually, let me look it up. Because uh, one of them has that weird tournament where they jobbed Muda out on it, which was really dumb. Oh, it looks like it was Halloween Havoc. Halloween Havoc 1989. Yeah, that makes sense. And it was Flair and Stang versus Great Muda Terry Funk. Like, I saw, I was able to see through um, some of the the VHS tapes that were out there, like in my video store. Like, the few WCW tapes they had. They had, uh, they, they had matches with Great Muda in it, and I was fascinated by Great Muda. So I had, I had minimal exposure. Man, I have to say, man, those old Turner ones, man, they would butcher those matches. Oh, they um, would cut it. They would cut it to ribbons at some yeah. points. Like the um, WWF ones on Coliseum, they would cut them up, but they were usually clever enough with it that you didn't real- realize that they cut a bunch of the match out until later. But man, those WCW ones, it was like they took a chainsaw to it. Yeah. But what uh, I kind of was exposed a little more a few years later uh, when. For whatever reason, ECW showcased a few guys. Like at Barry Legal, they had some of the Mishinoku Pro guys in a match, uh, and they also had like a weird like working relationship, I think, with FMW. Mm-hmm. So I got to see some different stuff then. Uh, by like the late '90s, uh, but pretty much like the late '90s, I think in the early 2000s, like things were edging more into like DVDs, or those were becoming a little more easily available. But in late 90s VHS, I, w- I was able to do some tape trading. Very minimal. It was really, I say tape trading. I, wasn't actually, I didn't actually trade tapes with anyone. I just like bought VHS copies. Yeah, but... I never, I never, I just, I was a purchaser. <clears throat> I was not a trader. Yeah. Uh, tape I did... trading was kind of over by the time I got into it though, because I bought a lot from like, um, oh, what was the name? Slam Bam Jam in their pre-Slam Bam Jam days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got some uh, tapes. Uh, I got like the '95 uh, J Cup, and I probably got like a Mishinoku Pro, maybe like an FM. I know I got a couple FMW tapes back in the day, and then probably like a probably like a New Japan tape or so. 
but yeah, I was like fascinated by it. It wasn't until like years later when DVDs became a little more available, I was actually able to, it, I was actually able to see more stuff. And then obviously nowadays, uh, there's actually a lot of content up that's on uh, YouTube or Daily Motion. If you don't want to get a subscription to like New Japan World or All Japan, one of these uh, streaming sites, which again, if you if you have the time and the money, they are not actually that expensive. New Japan World is like ten dollars a month, if that. Um, it's just really more about the time. Like I I I still pay for the subscription, but I oftentimes don't have a lot of time to actually be watching New Japan. Yeah, and you you have to pay, you have to play catch up too because it's, you don't get to watch any of it live unless you're going to stay up until four in the morning. Yeah. The problem I love so New Japan's great, but uh, and in a way it's their schedule is kind of better than than like WWE where there's like eight or nine hours of content every week. Yeah, because uh, with them you can. You can honestly just watch the big shows and skip the house shows, and then the house shows are just there if you want to. Yeah. If you want to throw something on. Yeah, uh, but if you are trying to watch everything, it can get kind of frustrating because uh, they'll go for like a month where they don't have like many shows, and then it'll be a month where it's like a show every other day. And... Oh, if it's if it's the G one season, like you might yeah. as well just not have a life or just do what yeah. I do and pick and choose the <laughs> matches because that's like every day for like a month there's yeah. a show so it, it kind of ebbs and flows but it's like a flurry of stuff so if you're trying to if you try to watch everything and you're trying to keep current with it it can kind of get to be a lot but and and they kind of have like an off season like once you get past september like it kind of goes into low maintenance mode until the the dome show in january so i mean you do kind of get an off season with it mm-hmm. um but it's always i i feel like they're I feel like the way they they run a little different than they used to because it used to be you could just tune out from September to January. Mm-hmm. But I feel like their promotion flows better. Like you kind of you kind of always know how their se- like how their season's going to progress and stuff and you know when like the big title matches are and when the kind of when the secondary title matches are going to be and um, you can kind of swoop in and out and it not be a big deal. Yeah. I played WCW NWO World Tour. <laughs> I had that. Yeah. And that was a great, that was a, actually, that was a great game. That would have yeah. been a great introduction if I had, if all the guys hadn't been renamed. Oh, yeah. I uh, think Brad. They, I think they, they also had a lot of them in WCW vs. The World. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad, I will say that I I also had I had Fire Pro Advance and Fire Pro Two. I don't think and I had two. I've had two. I I played the hell out of both of those. I liked it for just simming promotions. Oh yeah, I have not had time to to sit down and do it, but I do have Fire Pro. Uh, I is it is a Fire Pro World? I don't know. Whatever the the one that came out for PS4 like Fire a year Pro ago. World. Yeah, um, I've not even had time to play it, but uh, I will say, like, their character creation, uh, their their create a wrestler um, function is fantastic. You can create just about everyone you yeah. want to. Um, and 
the games the game is fantastic it, there's this, there's kind of like we've talked i think we've talked about it before there's like a steep learning curve to it because you gotta learn how to breathe and stuff yeah and it's predominantly all about like the timing timing is really big and it is about the breathing but it's uh it's a fantastic it's a fantastic game and you're right like it's it's a great game that you can just throw it on as like a sim and you'll yeah. wind the computer just having the computer on the matches the computer will actually wind up showing giving you like a fantastic match yeah so i think i think um so by the what we're saying i think i think for both of us Hushin Lager was a big part of our early exposure into Japan, probably like uh, an anchor, so to speak. Lager was about the only name of a Japanese wrestler I actually knew for a long time. Well, see, like back in the day, so how it kind of worked back in the day, I don't know about with Matt, but you, you pretty much had to like get the, the match print out to know who was who when you were mm-hmm. starting out. And then you would kind of what would happen with me? I'd be like, "Oh, well, I like that guy. Like, let me go find some some shows he's on, and um, I'll get that next." And then you might get a couple shows with him on it, and you're like, "Oh, well, I like that guy too. Like, let me go, uh, let me go see if if uh, if, um, if that guy's on anything else." And then you kind of just slowly expand out that way. But thankfully, you can understand like the ring intro, so that does help you kind of start to put names to people. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot easier now because you know there's so much, everything's so English friendly, and like they have like the graphics and ha- you know in Japanese and English, like it's a lot different than it used to be. Well, they they've got a they've got an English stream set up now, right? Or yeah, do they go still... back and redub stuff? I still watch um no they they live cast in English for the big stuff. Well, the the thing that I ran into with what we were doing tonight was um the language barrier hurt my investment a bit. Um that gets well, better, and the lack of context did that too. That gets better the more you watch the more um the more the language barrier matters less because you get to know the guys and um, their body language and stuff. Okay. Well, should we go ahead and dive in? Yeah. Um, So I thought before we hit the matches, we should just kind of run down um, Hushin Liger's championships and accomplishments as per Wikipedia just because it really is a rap sheet of of gold so all-star wrestling i don't know what that is but he held the world heavy middleweight championship twice in cmll he had the universal championship the world middleweight championship once and the world tag team championship once with uh, hiroshi tanahashi in dragon gate he had opened the dream gate championship which is their version of like the top belt that's actually really cool because like you get keys and it does like these weird things where you like open the belt up. It's um it's weird. Jersey All Pro Wrestling Light Heavyweight Championship. <clears throat> in M Pro he had the British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Championship twice. He won the Super J Cup in 2000. 
in the NWA, he had the World Junior Heavyweight Championship twice. So New Japan, this is where we get into the big stuff. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship 11 times. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship six times. He had the J-Crown uh, once, which we'll get into that a little later what that is. NWA World Welterweight Championship one time. UWA World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship. They have this listed twice, and I don't know why. I think he just had that once. The WWF Light Heavyweight Championship one time. Uh, we can talk about that later, but essentially the WWF made a belt in the 80s, and it only got defended in Japan until they decided they needed to compete with um, WCW's Cruiserweight division. Oh, yeah. What they and, do? They threw that on Taka, didn't they? Yeah, and and these are pro- he held these probably these ones he's listed as holding were probably as part of the J Crown, just okay. FYI. So then, uh, War International Junior Heavyweight Championship one time. So those the, that last set was probably part of the J Crown. Um, the top best of the Super Juniors ninety two, ninety four, two thousand and one. G1 Climax Junior Heavyweight Tag League 2001 with El Samurai. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Nebia Prince Hotel Cup Tag Tournament 2001 with Yuji Nagata. Young Lion Cup 1986. Outstanding Performance Award 2000. Tag Team Best Bout 2003 with Koji Kanemoto as Kataro Suzuki and Nama uh, Nao Michi Marafuji, uh, IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership Tournament 1990, Osaka Pro, which is Super Delphin's promotion, uh, Osaka Pro Wrestling Tag Team Championship one time, PWI Awards, ranked number eight of the top 500 singles wrestlers in the PWI 500 in 2000, uh, number 12 in 2003, uh, number 47 in the top 100 tag teams in 2003 with El Samurai, Noah, GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship one time, GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship one time, G, uh, NTVG Plus Cup Junior Heavyweight Tag League 2013 with Tiger Mask, Rev Pro, British J Cup 2017, Tokyo Sports Newcomer Award 1985, Outstanding Performance Award 1994, Vendetta Pro Wrestling Vendetti Award Special Guest Star of the Year 2015, WCW Light Heavyweight Championship one time. Um, I guess WWE put him in the Hall of Fame this year. Who cares? Um, <laughs> War International Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship one time. Super J Cup 1995. His Observer Awards. Best Gimmick 1989. Best Flying Wrestler 1989. Sorry, 1989 to 1993. Best Technical Wrestler 1989 to 1992. Best Wrestling Maneuver, 87-88, Shooting Star Press. Match of the Year, 1990 versus Nikoi Sano on January 31st. Most Outstanding Wrestler, 1990-1992. Rookie of the Year, 1984, tied with Tom Zink. Wow, that aged poorly for um, <laughs> someone. Um, 
Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, 1999. His record in mask matches, he defeated Pegasus Kid in 1991, and he defeated Tiger Mask in 1994. Which Tiger Mask is this? Oh, that's the Koji Kanemoto. So that's Tiger Mask 3 he beat. Okay. Okay. So... That is, um, and he's 0 and 1 in shoot fighting. He lost to Minoru Suzuki in 2002 at Pancrase. So I don't know the legitimacy of that. Yeah, I've 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 heard both ways about them. So well, no, they they some were real, some were not. It's just right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is is I don't know, but so that's that's a bunch of stuff. And, that is uh, a lot of hardware. Yeah. So, uh, we've got four matches we're going to break through tonight. Um, incidentally, uh, one of the PWI awards you did here, Brad, that Brad mentioned you did here correctly, Best Maneuver Shooting Star Press 1987. Yeah, that was Observer, not PWI. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. No, Observer. He, it's, he it's, technically... According to many, he invented the move. Yeah. So um, that's a (laughs) – put a pin in that. Uh, We'll come back to it. Um, Brad, which which match were we going to start this with? I figured we'd just go chronologically. Okay. So I wrote down the dates. So because it is Japanese wrestling, um, if you're not familiar with it, dates are very important because the shows really don't have names. Or they have like similar names, so the date of the match is very important if you're if you're dealing with conversation of Japanese wrestling. So we are going to go with uh, January thirty first, nineteen ninety, verse. Uh, ne- uh, how do you guys? Ne- I would say Naoki. 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 Sano. That's probably right. Yeah, Naoki Sano. Okay, let me flip so, to that uh, page. Coming into this. Sano is the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, and Liger is challenging. Okay. So some context behind this. They started about the exact same time. So they would have been peers coming up. So they, they kind of consider this to be like a general generational rivalry of, you know, kind of two rising stars. Uh-huh. So this would be kind of like, probably like something like Cena and Orton would be. Okay. So for some context, it's it's kind of hard to, um, yeah. That that was the thing that I, I found in a lot of these. Is I was missing context, so there's some stuff I was looking at, and I'm like, uh, really wish, really wish I knew what was up here. Well, they they obviously didn't like each other from the the aggression early on. Oh, yeah, they really didn't seem like they liked each other. Yeah, that was my uh, that was my opening note was Liger starts hot. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, Liger bladed in this match. Uh, he did. It's 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 not just that. Because um, Sano went at the at the mask like. Mm-hmm. Early. Yeah, Liger. Lager was completely unmasked in this match. Oh yeah, yeah. I told I told uh, the guys uh, offline watching this. I have I went my entire life, and I was a Liger fan. 
I went my entire life never seeing Liger's face and, and watching these four matches that we watched. I, I saw his face twice because mm-hmm. they, they completely ripped off the mask. I thought that was like such a taboo thing, but I guess while infrequent, it wasn't that big of a deal. Not in Japan, it's not. I see most of my mask context comes oddly enough comes out of the lucha tradition where mm-hmm. you don't you don't be doing that noise and then just to see this happen I was kind of like whoa what well, I, I think I immediately dropped a, a message in our group chat I'm like they go for the masks against Liger a lot and Brad's just like yeah it happens I'm like okay it, they've even in lucha they've even it's, it's been minimized a lot because you know money so guys like lose a mask match and then they start wearing their mask again because there's more money in it for them to have their mask on <laughs> yeah it's just like it's like anything else i was gonna say or, or maybe just not have a mask match but... yeah, then that's like that's like the big that's like the big um gimmick there though <clears throat> they uh they need kevin nash to convince them to give up the mask <laughs> I mean, I told him, hey, you know, you're a handsome dude, you know. Who cares if you get the mask on? You better you make more money without it. So I, I, I think you need this... some big, like, nasal inhales, like, right in the middle of that. <laughs> I, watched, I watched a shoot of him the other day, and he's just like, so uh, I was talking to Scott, and <sighs> he was telling me. <laughs> I was like, are you buying time here, Kev? What's going on? <laughs> so what I liked about here is I thought um, they they periled um, Liger really well. Like It felt like he was in some severe, some severe trouble at the end. But I also liked that when he went for the comeback, it wasn't very contrived. Like, Liger was going for, like, the, the kill when he would get any sort of advantage as the or, match, like, progressed. You said... You said Liger being in peril. I, I I'm watching the start of this match, and I'm like, did did Liger run over Sano's dog or something? Cause, oh yeah. Oh I mean, it's like it's did one of them sleep with the other one's wife? Like yeah. This was like a grudge match. They were going at it. They were yeah. they were trying to brutalize each other. Sano was just I mean cooking it off early on. Well, I think I've got a note here. It's like, oh, we've got a pile driver at 545. Sano trying to kill Liger dead. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, that was the pile driver of the match. That's one thing I noticed. Um, well, so one thing you need to know about junior matches, Shad, is the tombstone pile driver is a fairly common move. Well, the um, tombstone was 340. This was a regular pile driver. Yeah. So. But um, they like to do the. I know you know it from the Aki engine games, but the the reverse of the pile driver happens a lot in junior oh, matches. Kick the legs and then it drops the other guy into the bridge and then you pick him up. No, where they like where they get the guy up in the move and the guy like floats over and then like hits them with their own tombstone. Yeah, that's that's what I'm meaning. Yeah. Um. It, it's just so weird for me because. Uh, on, on this side of the of the pond, it's it's the tombstones. I kill you dead. Like that's that's a 
that's a big deal, but to see it as just kind of like, yeah, that's, a, that's one of the moves we do. Okay. Um, and, and you can tell by the you can tell by the heat. Um, the the armbar is a very dangerous hold as far as Japan goes. Isn't there one of them that's like the Fujiwara armbar is named after someone specifically? Either yeah, be- he he um he was in like that. I think he was in all Japan in like the original UWF. So it's like the um. I'm gonna. I've got to. It's like so notable that he uses it, or he was so identified with it that it's. I mean, yeah. it, it's still being used as a finish, isn't it? It's. It's just. Yeah. It's like a regular armbar in the states. Yeah, but like. Um, oh, MGF uses it. Um, salt of the Earth armbar. Yeah. So so there's also like there's a transformation in the '80s where. If you watch, like, 70s All Japan and New Japan or even early 80s, like, you'll notice, like, most of the matches have some sort of bullshit finish to them. Okay. Uh, we, saw the, we saw that, like, what happened in the the Andre Hansen match is fairly common in Japan. Like, a lot of double countouts, like, run-ins and stuff. But um, it was kind of affecting the bottom line, I think, because as, you, as the 80s progress, you see, like, the... Um, they kind of changed and focused more on clean finishes and definitive winners. And I think that might have had to do with stuff like the UWF forming and um, providing that and it getting popular. So I think that kind of kicked all Japan and New Japan in the butt to change. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like I even I even read um, Kenny Kumon, which is, which is the Japanese name of Muscle, which is a manga. Mm-hmm. And they even they even had like a joke about Inoki and Giant Baba getting in a fight and falling out of the ring and both of them getting counted out. Like that's how prevalent it was. That's so frustrating to me. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of why that's kind of so like when you watch the '90s, you do not get like a lot of a lot of like DQs and stuff because right. that's they okay. changed it. Um. Just for some context. Gotcha. That's that's good context to have. That is good um, context to have. But like I said, I liked how Liger's comebacks. Well, he bled pretty. He was bleeding pretty good. I don't even remember what he got busted on. Honestly, I was kind of like, oh, he's bleeding. The, was it the power driver? He got it on, or I'm not sure because at first I was like, oh, someone must have bled, or like Muda misted someone before this. But then I realized, like, oh, that's, like, Liger's blood because Sano had it all over him. Like, Liger's suit was, like, going um, red on him. Yeah, I was, uh, in my notes, the the mask grip is right after that pile driver. So, um, yeah, that may have been the spot. Or it may have been whatever he did to, to rip the mask off, like, as part of it. Um... But uh, Shad, were you surprised when Liger goes to the top and finishes it with a shooting star press? Well, I I knew he had done it. Like I did know prior to this that Liger, uh, you know, used to do the shooting star press or that he invented it. But it's at the end. I was like, for me, it was because, I mean, Sano kicked the crap out of him for most of this match. Um, and then to see the underdog 
come back and win with a tombstone shooting star press, I was like, ah, that's not what I usually expect to see an underdog to come back with. Um, like if it had been just one of the two, sure, I that wouldn't have thrown me at all. But putting the two together, I was kind of like, hmm, that's a bit different than what I usually expect. Well, I'll be honest. Like I was completely blown away by it. I had no idea that, that was going to be the finish, and I was like shocked because this was a 1990 match, and I'm like, holy mm, shit! Yeah. I, I the first time I can remember actually seeing a shooting star press was probably like Billy Kidman in WCW, yeah. and that was like late 90s. So seeing this, uh, I mean, nowadays like it's not that uncommon of a move. Like you'll see guys use it, but. In the context of the day, I was like, wow, that's like a that's fucking huge that Liger actually pulled that out. But it made sense because this was such a heated match. They were so like trying to brutalize each other Mm -hmm. that him winning with like that big move made perfect sense to me. And it was it was it's flashy and um, obviously put Sano away. But this was a this was a hell of a match. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys catch the imagine? Could you imagine contextually like. You're you're like Dave Meltzer or someone in 1990, and like you're dealing with like that horse shit that's WCW and <laughs> WWF TV at the time, and this fucking shows up on a VHS tape. Like it must have like melted people's brains. Yeah, this was intense. It was. It felt like very visceral. Like, and 1990, certainly like 1990 WWF. It was. It was still pretty. It was. It wasn't quite as bad as like the. The, the later 90 early 90s where it got really cartoony yeah. but it was kind of edging towards that way in 1990s when was this is what january 1990 yeah like this was when you had like this was like this the start of the slaughter <laughs> um yeah wcw wwf title run which i i'm a fan of sergeant slaughter yeah, that so. would have been that would have been the next year this would have been they would have been building towards hogan warrior mm I had my year off. Thanks. So this would have been like Hogan would have been like doing like stuff with the genius on Saturday night, this oh. main event and stuff. You know what I noticed about each of these four matches though, is um, they're they're very dense in content and storytelling. But I noticed for each match, like I kind of caught myself like just kind of turning my brain off and going with the flow and just like kind of being invested enough that I was just on the journey with them. So, like, this one, like, it really shocked me when the end came because I was just, like, I was kind of, like, involved in what they were, like, selling me. I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm, I'm I'm paying attention, to, you know, and that sort of... But it's... Uh, the thing that, I guess, really jumped out at me is that it, it had a... Uh, it flowed. Right, like there's there's not much of a um, a stop anywhere that would that would slow you down or you know like like Brad said I'm you're you're watching this and you're with it and then you know I'm not stopping to like pick out like oh they're calling spots here or anything like that it just it just kind of one thing fed into the next very very well because even yeah. like the the mat works not like oh. 
we're gonna do a rest hold so i'm just gonna slap a chin lock on you it's like oh hey like i'm going for your arm like oh you won't give me the arm like well here i'm just gonna start smacking you in the side until you you can take the arm it and, yeah that's and that's that's fair that's something that uh they've definitely got over some workers in the states who just do the <laughs> god awfulest you know so Shad, you mentioned it. Like, what what did you feel about like how the crowd intently watches during the mat work and stuff, and they just kind of go dead silent? But you can tell it's not because they're bored or it's not over. It's because they're just watching. It's really, really weird to me. You know, it, it, I was trained in kind of a, I guess, sort of southern style, and to have have it just be that quiet. It would be, at least to me, it would be unnerving. Because yeah, you know they're paying attention. I'm sorry, Matt. I, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go in just a second. But you know they're paying attention because you're not hearing mutter, 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 chatter, chatter, chatter. Like you're not you hearing the, people talk. You get the occasional yelling of their favorite who they're yeah. rooting for. You, you get a little bit of yelling here and there, but for the most part, it's not, it's not that it's... It's not like if you if you if you watch an American show and the crowd is talking to like if the crowd is completely dead, they're not watching. If the crowd is like talking while you're doing stuff and they're not reacting to your spots, then they're discussing if there are nachos left in the concession stand. That's not happening here. Like, you know, they're 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 engaged but the fact that they don't react to things you do would just – oh, my gosh, it would drive me nuts because that was that was a big thing I was about was like, okay, we're out here and we're doing stuff, and I'm trying to – I'm trying to build a response out of these people because the, the more response I build, the more invested they get. And the more invested they get, the um, – you know, the, the, the bigger this is going to be whenever we go into the next thing. But they're just sitting there listen, watching, you know, very politely. They're paying very close attention. And I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, get mad about something. <laughs> you know, big, get, get mad. Boo the heel. Cheer, please. You're killing me, guys. It would have for me to work in front of that would have driven me absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like you, you were you're kind of trained in the more like the North American style or attitude where it's like if they're silent, it's like I'm uh oh something's wrong. Like they're not yeah. engaged. When uh, the Japanese crowds are, they're absolutely engaged. It's just that they're you know they I guess they have been trained to know that okay now we won't be as we'll be silent because there's you know it, it, it's because most Japanese. A lot of the Japanese work, not obviously not all of it, but a lot of it is designed to. The concept is that it's honestly they, they kind of blur the lines between. They're, they're still kind of kayfabe to an extent because it's presented as like a, a real like athletic competition or like a, a real fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe that's why like during periods where they are working on limbs or they're doing kind of more of the technical stuff they'll be a little bit silent because they they're trained to know like well this is almost like a real fight like i'm watching like like olympic wrestling or i'm watching like a submission fight something like that but i guess it would it would definitely take like some getting used to mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's in my 
in my me- mental meanderings at some points where I go, you know, I wonder if, if I'd ever gotten the opportunity, if I would have, you know, been any good in Japan or something like that. And then I watch this and I'm just like, for God's sake, can you go say something? <laughs> you know what's you still, um, I still, still is striking to me decades later that I've always wondered about is I find it weird that they clap and appreciate like clean hold breaks and stuff like in the show sportsmanship, but yeah. then they pop huge when a guy just does a dive through the ropes and like unsportsman like takes a guy out that might not even be looking. Yeah. Speaking of dives, did you guys catch the dive that Liger did on Sano? Oh, the one where he went into the like second or he went yeah. on the announce table. Yes, that like. In retrospect, if you look at that dive, that dive scared the hell out of me because Sano was in the perfect position. He caught him, but if he had not, or if he had ducked out of the way, Liger would have gone literally spine first into the guardrail. And yeah. That's like, and, um, those were hard guardrails. It wasn't flimsy. And that wasn't the only one where we saw Liger, like, put a dent in an announce table because when we <laughs> in one of the later matches muda like muda slams him so like so his face so hard into the announce table he broke it yeah yeah uh, we'll get to that one that one's a whole yeah oh that one's a, that one's a whole like there's there's a lot to be said about that one so um i think this one deserved its its uh, match of the year award i think i think um if you're going into this as like um someone with a 2020 mindset, I think you're going to find it a little slow and um, maybe a little, maybe not as action packed as you would expect something with the tag of a junior match. But um, I think this is a, this is a, I think this is, this is arguably the best match we watched, but I think there's an argument for another match we watched too. Well, I think there's an argument for, three of them to be the best match we watched except one is great in a different way yeah i well i'm i kind of look i think i watched this with the 2020 mindset because it's absolutely a great match uh, i would definitely recommend it to people and uh, just for people who you guys who are listening to the show if you want to watch any of these matches we all watch these on various like free platforms i think daily three, motion we watched most of these because i think daily yeah. motion has like most anything you can three out of the there. three out of the four i believe were on daily motion mm-hmm. uh watch yeah. them free and then one of the matches was on youtube so these are all easily available you can get them for free uh, as you, so you can watch along you can have your thoughts it's a it's a match i absolutely would recommend but when i watched it i was like oh, i don't know if it's like five stars but you are correct like it conceptually if you actually if you were to watch this in 1990 when it aired, or even like shortly thereafter, uh, I mean, because now we've had like 30 years of, of yeah. awesome matches, and even it's, in like 95, I think mm-hmm. this would like melt your brain. Yeah, if you're watching it from the context of like the, this is like happening in the early 90s, it would have blown my mind. I would have been like, I cannot believe that like this sort of good stuff could be out there. Because I mean. In the early 90s, even watching a lot of stuff uh, on videotape, mm-hmm. uh, and I love it, but it's like, you can't compare, like, Liger Sano to, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> uh, like British Bulldog versus, like, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah. It's not going to be, like, the same type of match. No. I, which does not to say, like, I haven't, maybe, I wouldn't watch the Bulldog Valentine have a good time. Or, like, something like we, we watched, like, with the 
like the the UK shows we watched not that long ago. It's like you can watch like Bulldog versus IRS, and that's that's actually entertaining in its own way. But something like Son of Liger, like that was just on another level. Yeah, it has the. Um... It's it's kind of like going back and watching some of the you know the 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 older like really old state stuff is that you look at it and at the time you're just like oh god really people paid to watch this and it's like well you know you got to understand where we are now is built on the foundation that's laid by a bunch of people like this so it yeah. That's that's going to be part of it. Is you're going to be like, hey, you know, this is this is you know where a bunch of this stuff came from. Yeah, so, it's funny. It's funny you say that, Shad, because um, I have some matches from the '50s on the Chicago Film Archive uh, slated for a future episode. Uh, that's fine, but you you get you get what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. it's just that that's what the uh, that's what the product of the time was and it's not that it's it it wasn't good but it's like you know <clears throat> in the 50s you know nobody's yeah, nobody's busting out a death valley driver in the 50s or anything no, like you, that you it's, got it's, like guys like um antonina roca doing some like like head scissors and like victory rolls and drop kicks and stuff and then you had Don Leo Jonathan who's like 300 pounds doing kip ups like that's the kind of crazy stuff you got back then right but what was crazy then is you know it, it would be you know for a lot of people pedestrian now I mean yeah you know it for well, at least for a little while we had ricochet on our TV like every week and you you're not gonna this it, you're not comparing apples to oranges, you know it, it's it you're comparing grape juice to to wine or something like that. It's you've got to appreciate that you know everything is built on the shoulders of giants, and in order to get to those giants, you've got to appreciate you know what was built first. All right, I'll, I'll I'll quit belaboring the point. No, I think um, I find because I've actually watched a lot of stuff on that Chicago Film Archive, which if you've never looked at it on YouTube, it's a bunch of um, it's a bunch of stuff from the fifties, and they've actually got a remarkable like they've got remarkably rare things like they have like a hour long Luthez versus Vern Gagne match that I actually want to do for the show. Okay. And um, just guys you would never think that there was, like, much footage of. Like, they've got whole matches. I think it's from... I think it's a bunch of stuff that aired on, like, the Dumont Network back okay. in the day. Um, and if you're, if, you're, if you're listening to this and going, what's the Dumont, the, the Dumont Network? That's essentially what WGN was, like, before it was WGN. Because in the 50s, wrestling was huge. Like, wrestling aired nationally, like, multiple nights a week. Um, there's a whole thing to that we won't go into today, but yeah. it was big in the 50s. It's the golden age for a reason. We, we'll, 
We'll we'll dig into that another time. But what's what's the next yeah. match we were going to talk about? So we're going to go to four twenty eight ninety one. I believe this is like a Super Juniors tournament, best of the Super Juniors. This is um, Hushin Liger versus Owen Hart, and uh, surprisingly, I think this is the first Owen Hart match we've actually done on the show. I believe you're is right. Hmm. Um, I, I think you're right. I can't think of another one off the top of my head. We've never really hit like that mid-90s where he was having his run. We've always like stuck to that 89 to 93 with our wwe watching so that's yeah okay so the one thing i noticed about this is um i was really like well like i kind of am sad owen spent his best years in wwf because it's really kind of fun watching him cut loose and do things you never saw him do in wwe like he did the he did the arm bar where he like jumps on the ropes and like you know does like the flip off he did like uh he did a, a moonsault mm-hmm. what else did he do his head scissors are really interesting because he almost caught those like out of nowhere yeah um the the thing that jumped out at me in that is the um just in the opening sequence where they do that uh, I, I in my head i call it the old aki engine um arm bar reverse where they they kind of do the the flip rollout to escape an armbar uh, or an arm lock, wrist lock. God, yeah. I will learn. Me learn speak one day. <laughs> um, and just how effortlessly they both do that. Like, and we start the match there. Yeah, I felt he he would bust that out in WWF. I, I just distinctly remember him using that before. He probably did, but the the fact that that's just where this starts, <laughs> I was like, oh, it, it, uh, I think I messaged, um, I messaged guys, and I was like, wow, uh, I think Owen probably would have been happier doing this than what he was doing for most of his WWF run. Well, this isn't this isn't their first match, just so you know. They, there's like some some stuff out there of Liger pre Liger having matches with Owen and Stampede. Okay. Um, that are them just doing like crazy stuff like this throughout. Okay. Well, they're both younger and younger and dumber by about five years, so they're probably doing even crazier <laughs> stuff. All right. Um, but now I will say this is probably I this is a good match, but I think this was. This is easily the worst match because this felt more like because it was a tournament match, so it was much more of a of a clean like sporting event match. There wasn't like a lot of heat like between them, and it it was more of a like clean like grappling match just that showcased their talents well. Mm-hmm. I, I felt it was pretty like evenly paced in terms of like who got offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, it was very, it was a very prototypical what I would call '90s New Japan Juniors match. Like they did, you know, they did some flashy stuff to get the crowd into it. Then they did their, then they did their mat work interspersed with their high spots, and then they did like their big finishing sequence, which is what I would call like the the style of a, a '90s Junior match. Mm-hmm. And that's just. 
that's my my uh, you know southern style wrestling brain is just screaming again. It's like that's not how you lay a match out. What what like what what about the way they laid it out? Like doesn't. Sit well, well with they go they okay they start with like the really well just your description of it we go from you know we do some like flippy stuff to start and then we transition to the mat work and i'm like what you guys both do the flippy stuff why are you going to mat work why are you why are you doing that why is that the the path that you're taking you could just just do you know you could just keep doing that because the people are into it, but okay. I, I hadn't, it's been this many episodes before I said it, but your standard North American match is laid out in a, it's a story you'll recognize as soon as I say it, but it's laid out this way because it works. You've got your shine, you got your heat, you got your comeback, you got your finish. You start babyface does, you know, babyface is better. Then the heel is. Then the heel cheats to get a, get a, uh, get over on the baby face. Then you build to the comeback. Baby face is getting back, getting himself back into it. And then you go into the finish. This is like this structure is so different that uh, it, like just on a conceptual level, I'm I'm kind of twitching from it. <laughs> it's more like a, it's more like what an actual sporting like battle would be. There's just kind of like the struggle and the back and forth with each other. I mean, okay, I can, I okay, I can buy that, but it's it, it, you're killing me, Smalls. That's that's <laughs> where I'm at here. Um, where did I, I had a note? Where was my note here? There's some there's some notes that I had from later in the match, so I'll sit on those till we get there. Okay. So, uh, I thought the end run on this was a lot of fun, and um, Liger put him away with a pretty devastating move. Well, yeah, the end run I had is, one of my notes is, electric chair from the top, ouch. Mm. Because it was not exactly the cleanest landing. And then, um, yeah, Liger's big finish. That... Okay, clarify for me. Did Liger have a finish, or did he just have several that he would rotate? So his between? his primaries were um, fisherman, a fisherman buster, and then a brain buster, and then the shooting star earlier. But that kind of went away as time went on. So primarily, Liger is looking to brain buster you or fisherman buster you. Okay. In his later career, he um, he added the the Shotai Palm Strike, mm-hmm. which we'll see in a later match. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. So I had been told in my younger days that the this top rope DDT was Liger's like thing, and so for a long time I was confused why I never saw him do it. I would see yeah, Liger he, stuff here and there, but I never saw him do it. I haven't seen him do it a ton. The other thing you have to realize is Japan, um, it's more of an all Japan than New Japan thing, but it does happen. Guys have, like, their standard finishers, but then they have their, like, Super Saiyan, like, this is for the big match because my regular stuff's not getting it done finisher. Yeah. 
And I'm I'm fine with that. I like the con- I like the idea of having multiple ways to finish a match. You know, you just have to go through the 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 work of building it up. And and that I don't mind that, but there are, I, it seems like there's a lot of North American audiences that are not game. I like it better because like then you, it just makes more sense to me. Well, it's more fun. Yeah. You get to you, you don't know what the finish is going to be. You know. You don't you you're not gonna look at like that's part of what made um, DDP fun to watch is like you you knew it was probably gonna end with a diamond cutter but you didn't know how. That's what always made like Triple H's matches so boring was like his finisher just took forever yeah. to set up. Um, you're tickling my memory of somebody else, but I can't figure out who it is right now. So. Uh, At least Cena had two finishers. He did. Well, and then he also um, he had the the variation on his finisher. So it wasn't it wasn't just the AA. There was also the Avalanche AA, as I like to call it, even though nobody else that I was watching it with would get it, and it amused me because then it became the AAA, and <laughs> Again, that was only for my own amusement. And he had the STFU that was also yeah something he could throw in there. Yeah, he had that too. But it was it, it for me. It was I'm watching the. Uh, um, he, he, I would say he had three because he had he had the the AA and then the the amped up version of it. Yeah, I always liked when um Eddie had Splash Mountain. In his repertoire with the frog splash. Yeah, you didn't see that one very much. No, and that's um, isn't that how Ray won that Masker's title match? Is he reversed the he reversed the Splash Mountain into the the roll up or whatever? I think you're right. I can't swear to it, but I think you're right. I know he reversed it. I don't know if that was the finish though. I feel really dumb. I just watched that match like last year, I think. It's uh, I I've watched it, but it's it's been a while. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um. So, like I said, this was a tournament match, so there wasn't like I, the crowd was pretty into it. I would say, I would say like the other matches were all hovering in four star and above territory, and this is more hovering in mid three star territory. So, I mean. <laughs> Saying it's the weakest of this lot of matches is, is like, not really damning it because it's better than most matches. Yeah. Yeah, it was still a perfectly fine match. It was probably, of the the four we watched, it was on the lower end. Yeah, I would agree with that. That Like, three, three and a half, that's pretty fair. But like I said, we, we, when I called this a murderer's row of matches, um, we really did, um, we watched some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. So up next, we're going to go to October 20th of 1996. Um, This was at Matt's request, and probably, like, just for the spectacle of it, my favorite match, but this is Hushin Liger versus the Great Muda. I did request this match because I became aware that uh, Hushin Thunder Liger had a alter ego, which comes out. This is actually the first appearance of that alter ego. 
Uh, and I became absolutely fascinated by this because I, I wasn't aware of it and I had never seen it before. So uh, I did. I was very excited that this match was added. And this match was something else. Oh, because because so I went into this and I'm thinking like, oh, they're gonna have like they're gonna have like a technical match and he's gonna get misted, but it's gonna be this fun like kind of back and forth, probably some high flying stuff. And then Buddha's like, nah, screw that. Like I'm just gonna, let's just beat each other with chairs and tables for 20 minutes. Yeah, Buddha is insane in this. <laughs> he just is. He's. He, He's full on in the Muda character, but just absolutely insane, like healing it up, incredibly violent, aggressive. Mm-hmm. And you, it almost feels like there's a touch of realism to it because you're almost like, wow, he kind of just went cuckoo bananas and just like they're going to have like a match. And he just decided like he just got carried away and started. Yeah. And at one point, like early that. on in the match, like Liger does something uh, like a kick or something like and, and Muda bails and he's just, like pissed off. So he just starts ripping up like the, the mats outside and throwing them. Mm-hmm. And the crowd at a couple points is clearly like kind of shocked because there's like audible gas by certain people like at ringside. It's just there's a weird intensity that he yeah. brings to the match. They're, they're all building. They're all building. To, it's all building to a moment to like. I think get the crowd to react, and it really works well. But there was one part that had me laughing early because Muda almost pulls a Sabu early in the match <laughs> because he's trying to set a table up to to like ram Liger in it, but the table keeps falling over. Now, as if this was Sabu, this would turn into five minutes of trying to get the spot to work. <laughs> yeah. And Muda's yeah. like, "Oh, this isn't gonna work," so he just throws it at Liger. Yeah. And improvises. That's what I I, I had that noted right here was, uh, well, that's a way to deal with an uncooperative prop. Um, also, another thing that helped this was this, whereas like the um, the Liger Sano match, like the ring wasn't, it didn't seem like the ring was mic'd at all. But in this one, this ring was mic'd way up, and you heard everything. And when we talk about them using chairs, they're not using folding chairs. They're using, like, those plastic, like, they're using, like, chairs that are got some heft to them. These were the weirdest chairs I've ever seen. <laughs> like, they, they did kind of fold, they, yeah. or I guess I should say, like, they collapsed. But it's almost like, in a weird analogy, but it's like when you were a kid, do you ever have like those, it was like those plastic, hard plastic chairs that, that had like the, the metal legs to it? Yeah. It was like you would have like an elementary school or even high school. It, it's like. That's what and, I was thinking. Yeah, like imagine those, but they, imagine like they, there was, there was, they had the capacity to like collapse. It was like those. It wasn't just like a steel folding chair, which, you know, if you get, as Mick Foley can attest to, if you get hit in the head with that really hard, like it's going to cause some damage. Yeah. But, but just in general, like if you, if you were to take like a bump onto that, like it might hurt, but if you take a flat back bump onto that, you're, you're probably going to be okay. But these things, like I wouldn't want to got hit with one of those hard plastic chairs. And they were just like shucking them at each other at a couple points. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but so this all builds to, and like you said, the crowd seems taken aback by it. But they were all building to the moment where Muda starts going for the mask and he tears the mask off to a degree and Liger does the big reveal. He's got his own Muda face paint and he missed Muda. Yeah, he missed Muda. And then 
Now, Muda had done mist like right at the beginning of the match too. Green mist. It's important. Yes. Yeah. But so so Liger mists him. The crowd starts going crazy. Liger just starts going crazy and starts just giving it to him. Like I think he, he even came off the top rope and smashed him in the head with a chair. He did. Yeah, he absolutely did that with one of those again one of those hard plastic chairs. Um, he also uh, sorry Liger also shortly after it is revealed that he has this uh, this face paint on. Um, he rips off his his top. He like and just physically is like ripping it. And it's not like it's not quite like a Hulk Hogan. I'm ripping my t-shirt, brother. It's yeah. like he just rips like his his costume, and yeah, it looks very it looks very um, weird and primal. But you see, he has effectively like war paint painted all over his torso, mm-hmm. and it's he's all- fucking ripped. Like you don't think of Liger being like ripped. Oh no, that was the most. That was one of the most intriguing things about this is that if you see Liger, he's he obviously is in like a full bodysuit. Like the only thing you ever really see of him is like his hands. Sometimes he does like that. He does that suit where he has like the mask and just um, tights. Yeah, that's but that rare. that's kind of rare. Um, and he was older when he was doing that. This yeah. is like Liger and his like physical. Yeah. Prime. And if you've ever seen the like the dude is is built like a fire plug like he's kind of she's short and he looks stocky like he looks also almost he I, this is kind of fair but like he almost looks like chubby not really but i mean he's stocky he's broad he's, yeah he, he well and he's his weight distribution's weird like yeah. he's got like some junk in the trunk like he's got like <laughs> he's he's very he's very bottom heavy if you look at his body got that low center of gravity yeah, yeah, he's, he's got I, wide hips and and like his torso is broad. And, yeah, and I actually he's actually got a weird like stumpy build, and I've I've theorized he stayed good for so long because his body is absolutely perfectly built to bump because he has he's got like his weight and his heft in all the right spots to absorb like the shock. It yeah. spreads it out really well. Um, the just just as a uh, uh, there's something I wanted to point out before the the mask remove that that tickled me there's there's a couple of things one of them is uh, Liger hit a pile driver and I was trying to tell this as, as a joke to the guys and I failed at it and Liger hit a pile driver on Muda and Muda just popped up from it and I was like did did Muda ever work in Memphis because I don't think they'll ever let him go back after that and we had the running like way down the ramp spot mm-hmm. the the guys spent so much time like there was this block of time where they just went under the ring and we got treated oh, to under ring cam oh yeah like, we Muda, got Muda like ducks under the ring and comes back with like a broom and just starts like assaulting Liger with the broom it was it turned into waits- a plunder match they, they got plunder Tony yeah. they got plunder I got plunder and if and there was another dude there we could have seen some clubbering but clubbering Liger went under the ring too so there's this there's this point where they they keep looking for each other but coming back and forth out from under the ring and well, it's that's like, when he and he he like he like he like waits for Liger finally and then he just accosts him with the broom when he finally pops out and I mean he it's not like he takes the broom in both hands and lifts it over his head and hits him he takes that sucker by the broom handle and takes the end of it, not the bristled end of it, but the top of it, just right into Liger's head. And I'm just, I'm like, dang. 
okay, we've gone from Goofy back to this. I was curious whenever they they did the mask thing. I have a note here. I said, how did they get the paint to stay put without getting all smudged up under the mask? I actually wonder that too. And the the the, the war paint on his body, I was like. I, I mean, I've got to respect Liger so much is that he worked so long in a full body suit. His cardio has to be just through the roof. But he had to sweat like crazy. How did the stuff not move around? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he he rips his top off. He's like kind of jacked. And it's the war He's paint. really jacked. I yeah. was like, wow. Like, yeah. I, he was more jacked than Muda was, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. this um, this is what I wanted to see. This is what I had heard about. This here is the birth of Kishin Liger. And Kishin Liger is Liger's alter ego. For those who are not aware of the term Kishin, it is a Japanese term. It apparently has a ties to Buddhism. Um, and the word Kishin, uh, kind of loosely translated, it means uh, either wrathful deity or fierce. I think the little, more like the more literal translation is fierce god. Okay. Uh, and the kind of concept of Kishin uh, has appeared in like anime for like certain. An- I think like the anime Soul Eater, there's a character named Kishin. It's uh, basically it's the yeah. con- the concept is that Liger now has become a new being he's become this like wrathful fierce being much how muta is like a an incarnation a more violent aggressive incarnation weird uh semi-supernatural incarnation of of kiji muto uh that's what kishin liger is supposed to be for jushin thunder liger so uh he starts beating the shit out of muta he basically this is almost like a dragon ball z like power up now now yeah. like it was, this is his second form it was actually like to use a wrestling term it was like this is like a 10 minute comeback that's a receipt for everything muda did to him for yeah. the 10 minutes before that i, I love matt's comparison because it's it's just like you know it's muda's just been going nuts and then all of a sudden lager's like i have a secret he's like can you transform i can transform bah! and <laughs> Then all of a sudden, Muda's like, oh, God, oh, God, this is not, he takes a pile driver on the floor. Um, There's a table that does not want to get into the ring at all. That table did not cooperate at all during that match. Well, there were two of them, and neither one of them wanted to to cooperate. There was an early table pile driver in this match. I had a note there that said, wow, this escalated quickly. Um, doesn't really work without the Ron Burgundy meme, but that's what I wrote down. Um, but he finally you know gets I, it in I, the I, ring. I think that what really stood out to me too, going on though, is the comeuppance of of Liger misting him was so great. <laughs> just, just all of a sudden, because they they gave it a beat before it happened. Is you got this look, the mask is off, and Liger looks around. And everyone's like, oh. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I kind of, I'm watching this and I tilted my head looking at him like, he's got face paint under there? Because he didn't in the, um, the son, the Sano match, the Sano, and and it was like face paint. And then here comes the miss. I'm like, oh, okay. Things are coming back around now. Yeah, this is great. And then. 
And then, um, so we get to, like, the end run, and they get, what, they get, like, a spike. I don't know what it was, though. It was different than, like, the spikes you see here. I honestly think that he just, he had a big screwdriver. It, it might have been. It didn't look like a screwdriver, though. But I have seen, I have actually seen, I've, I remember, like, other Japanese matches I've seen where there's been, like, actually, I've seen Muda use this type of thing before. It, I think it's a tool that they used in New Japan to tighten the ring ropes. I know you can do that with the screwdriver, but it, it was like a weird device that looks kind of like a spike. Uh, and obviously, like with the turn, if you look at the turnbuckles, there's like a, there is like a, how would you describe it? There's a, where it's where the the actual turning part of the turnbuckle. Yes, there's like a, an eyelet that you fit. Yeah. Um, if you, you look fit, at like, the ring posts. If you look at the ring posts, there's a spot where your ropes there's there's a hook and the ropes hook into the the eye on that. Then opposite the ropes feed into where the turnbuckle pad is, and that's that's the buckle. And then you have the section that turns. So the easiest way to turn those to tighten the ropes is, is to, and I, I did this a lot. Is you take um, like a, a uh, a long, um, you know, a long screwdriver or a wrench or something like that, or a piece of rebar once, slide it through there, and then you're just, you're turning that thing, you're just keeping a hold of it, and you're turning it like, you know, like it's a, a the wheel on a ship or a, a steering like, wheel like or something. Like a tourniquet. Yeah. Yeah, like like on one of those those fancy tourniquets that you don't do with with a belt or with you know a piece of rubber or something. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what you're tightening. That's that's yeah. the turn part of the turn buckle. So that's just like a tool, and I, I believe I have seen it with New Japan rings before. But Muda got I, a hold I, of it. I think uh-huh. they used a wrench once. I went to a Ring of Honor show and they busted one of the ropes like in the first match. They had to come back out and put the ropes all back up after the first match. Anyway, yeah. like it's it in here it looks like a spike. And they just start assaulting each other with it. Yeah. And they set they up do. they set up a table in the corner, uh, where it's kind of um kind of leaning against the, the turnbuckle. And Muda tries to to do a move to Liger, but Liger gets out of the way. But he he gets a hold of the spike, throws Muda in front of the table. Mm-hmm. And then does a running lunge at him. Muda moves out of the way. Um, I, this is a beautifully timed spot because Muda jumps out of the way almost at the last minute. And then you just see Liger embed the spike into the wood of the table. It's, it's a really impressive visual. And it makes a nice thunk. When yeah, it makes a great sound. This, this was like a just an odd match for... For New Japan, uh, I mean, it just was brutal. It was violent. It I was... was watching this, and like, I think I had an eyebrow up the entire time. I was like, "This is the most batshit thing I've ever seen." It, it goes from violent to goofy back to violent. This was a good match. It's more well, it's a good match, but it's more of a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll, well, I'll get to that thought in a second. But that I would still, mm-hmm. if if we were throwing snowflakes around, which we don't always do, I would probably throw four and a half on this though, because it really is like. It is must to me. This is like a must see. Like you are missing out as a wrestling fan if you don't watch this. It like, is a insane. it is a spectacle. I guess I'll just share my thought. My thought was like if this, if this was like in let's assume that these were like, like 
WWE characters. I mean, nowadays, like, they, people aren't invested. But let's say this was, like, a match that happened in, like, the same time frame or even, like, say, like, early 2000s in the WWE. Like, people would be talking about this match to this day. Like, oh, my God, that's one of the all-time classic, like, WrestleMania matches. Like, what a, what a crazy, insane match. Like, it's that good. It would be, like, a classic match. If you it could, was like even in a, a different setting, it's it's a it's a bizarre match. In, but you're just so your fun. description, like the, what I'm getting ready to compare it to, is not as good. But your description makes me think of like the the WWF debut of Cactus Jack, while not as as wild and as good as this is, is this is the same kind of spectacle thing as mm-hmm. it sounds like you're describing. Like, this is that, but more so. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. It's just such a, it's such a bizarre journey because, like, there's, it really has, like, layered storytelling to it. Like, it really, I don't know, it's hard to describe because, like, there's so, like, it's so jam-packed with, like, narrative and, you know, the ebb and flow and, and the subtext. Like, it really is, like, just a... A bizarre match. Yeah. Wait, Matt, we gotta we gotta hit the ending on this one. Oh, the ending was fantastic. I so I forget. Was it right after the spike uh, moment? Yeah, it, it ends yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. So basically, how I forget exactly how it worked out. To that. I think it was because after like Liger missed him with the spike, then all of a sudden uh, Muta does the Asian mist again. But it's the red mist. It's yes. the red mist. Now, if you, for those who are not familiar with the various colors of the Asian mist, green mist is common. Now, if you yeah. get that in your eyes, as we've seen with even I think Oscar uses it, yeah. uh, that can tempor- yeah. that can temporarily blind your opponent, which is different than the black mist, which Tajiri has used, which will blind your opponent for uh, an indefinite period of time, like weeks. Uh, there are other mists. Red mist here uh, also can blind you, but it, it, it burns the eyes, and that, that's what <laughs> Muda used against Liger. Would it uh, would it be fair to call it the cayenne mist? <laughs> it, that would be an accurate description. Uh, it blinds uh, Liger. Liger is basically incapacitated, and then Muta uh, does the moonsault from the top rope and gets the pin count. Uh, that this was just this was a hell of a match. Absolutely fantastic match and just bizarre. I can't get over it. Like this was like the this in the context of this era, like mid nineties New Japan, this is like one of the probably the weirdest matches that they had. Like you, you didn't see this to, type of stuff. I had to sit on it for about a day. Like I didn't know what to think of it. I really liked the part where, where the part where where Liger has the face paint and the mist, but like at first I was kinda like I don't know what I thought about that. Like, that was just weird. And then the more I thought about it and, like, the qualities of the match, then, like, I started to come around on it. Mm-hmm. I honestly feel like I need to watch it again, like, with, like, the expectations set. But, like, the more I've thought about it, the more I've liked it. But, like I said, it took a while. Like, I had to I had to really, like, digest it mm-hmm. for, uh, for about a day just because it really just... I... I... It's like you don't... Could you imagine if, like, Randy Orton and Edge had had this match at Mania this year? Like, people would have been raving. 
Oh yeah. About it. But I like I said like I really liked it, but I had to I really had to think about it for a while. Like it wasn't this one's not an easy watch for some reason. Yeah. This is the Rick and Morty of wrestling matches. <laughs> <laughs> only, only super smart people that's, enjoy this. That's, people with that's high Nietzsche, IQ. man. Only people with... It takes someone with a high IQ to really appreciate this match. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and now we go to our final match for the night. Um, as we're going to go to the, the 9th of February, 1997... This is Hushin Liger defending against uh, Shinjiro Otani. This is for the partial J crown because Matt has a little tidbit that he researched um, for this one. Yeah, yes, because we are we are broadcast journalists here. We do our 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 due diligence in finding out um, all all the background for these matches and what was going on. Uh, this I thought this was uh, the full J crown, which uh, comprised eight different titles. Um, it apparently was not, uh, because Liger had lost, I think, the War uh, Junior Heavyweight title about a month prior to this. Uh, so he comes out, it's actually only, it's it's seven of the eight belts. Um, and people out there, you probably, if you watch, like, uh, WCW back in the day, like in the 90s, you probably saw the J-Crown uh, titles, because I know at one point, like, Ultima Dragon had them. And he was, I think Rey Mysterio challenged for it at World War Three in that like awesome yeah, match. Yeah, uh, but but he definitely like showed up with with the titles in tow, and obviously it's a very impressive visual to see like this guy has all these different title belts. Uh, it's almost kind of a, in wrestling. It's kind of like a really impressive thing. Uh, I don't particularly like him, but I know a few years ago like Austin Aries was doing that same thing. He was like going to like winning their their belts and did he show up in like ring of honor or was it tna he showed up as TNA, oh i look at all these look at all these titles i have uh which is like well yeah but who cares <laughs> you're awesome yeah um but yeah this was for only for seven of the eight belts but still yeah. it's, it's impressive visual and we're going to um we're yeah it's the... probably going to be it's probably going to be the third um the third uh dive into japan we do there's going to be one between this but we're probably going to do the j crown tournament just as a future fyi to anyone listening so um i have a note for the beginning of this match that liger has a one heck of an entrance (laughs) because yeah he's got all those belts and then he's got pretty ladies carrying all those belts. Mm-hmm. And he comes walking out. The way he just kind of comes walking out is just like, yep, that's me. And it, like, you can't see the facial expressions, but you kind of get it from the body language. It's like, yeah, man, that's me. Jushin Liger, how you doing? Maybe I'm overselling it a little bit. <laughs> no, it was a good entrance. So this, um, this is... I would say this, uh, I, this match, so there's a lot of mat work to start this match, but then there's like, the end run is pretty much, 
Otani goes into beast mode and is just saying, I'm not going to lose this match. And he pretty much starts getting these big spots on Liger, but he's also taking like Liger's big moves and not going down. And then they do this big end run and Liger finally gets him down and pins him. And I, I don't think I've had like as big a gut punch watching a match through my investment in just the match than I did with this match. Like it literally was like, it was like your, this match to me was like watching your favorite football team about to win the game and fumbling on the two yard line Mm -hmm. is what it felt like watching in real time. I didn't have that kind of, um, this was the first match of these that I watched because I just kind of picked an order and I didn't ha- like, I-, I didn't know if this was like a grudge match or what Liger Otani like interplay was or anything like that. I just kind of got to the end. I was, I was kind of given what we were doing, kind of assuming Liger was going to come away with it, this one. So it didn't, it didn't hit me that way. But um, like I said, I was lacking in context. Uh, to me, like, I mean, you make good arguments as to to Liger Muda being the best of the four matches, but I almost feel like I almost feel like this one was from in terms of what I would probably give it, like just excitement factor towards the end. Like this, this was twenty minutes of like good mat work, um, but it wasn't. It was, it was good. It's a good technical match, but it wasn't overly exciting. But then the last ten minutes was amazing. It was just a, a absolute sprint where both guys got increasingly desperate to put the other person over. I mean, sorry to put the other person down, mm-hmm. and it just got fantastic. Like they just start yeah. bombing each other with huge moves. Right about um, 20 minutes, I'm sorry, Matt, I'm trying to agree no, no, with you. Right about 20 minutes, there was a spot that I really liked. Is um, I think I think Otani went for a uh, like a crossbody or a splash or something, mm-hmm. and Liger kind of did the sidestep dodge and immediately turned that into a, a magistral cradle. That mm-hmm. spot oh, he went for, so he, smoothly. He goes, so Tani does a lot of kicks. He was going for, I think he was going for like an Enzig, like, no, not an Enzig, he was going for like a spin heel kick, and Liger sidestepped him. Okay, I couldn't remember what he sidestepped. I just know he he looked at it, and he just kind of sidesteps. So Tani, you know, crashes and eats dirt. And then Liger's just like, by the way, Magistral, and I, that not, that little sequence right there was, I mean, that really stood out to me. It was very nice. I thought the mat work before this was really good because they really like struggled with each other. It felt like um, it felt like they were fighting for every hold they got. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, there was one. Yeah, sorry. To cut there was you one off. I really. There, okay. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There was one I really liked. I think I think Liger, I think Otani was getting his arm, and Liger actually got out of it by by torquing on his leg. Like there was a point where they had each other in a hold. Mm-hmm. But what were you gonna say, Matt? You're right. They they, they really fought. Uh, Otani was working over uh, the arm, and Liger was working over Otani's leg, and they both were um, really trying to fight for those holds. And they got kind of brutal. And one thing I really noticed here, which I guess I didn't really pick up, like Liger could be a dick. Like 
uh, kind of early on in the match, he's got Otani down uh, in the corner, and he just starts doing like the foot scrape in the face, which is just not something he's he's particularly uh, would do that I could recall. Like Otani would do that. Yeah, actually, maybe that's kind of like it was like a payback to Otani or kind of showing Otani up. Otani would do this um, kind of running foot scrape. Have you guys okay. seen that before? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Samoa Joe would do basically a similar. Okay. Type of All right. Thing. I have context for what you mean then. Yeah. I mean, Otani's like, um, I think Otani's a little forgotten now because he got heavier in the 2000s and his quality of work went down. But he was like a top junior of the 90s. He's a good worker. I would argue, I haven't seen a lot of his recent stuff. I know uh, last year he was supposed to, I think he had a match with Jonathan Jonathan Gresham uh, at the Mania shows. Yeah, he did. I, I wanted to see that. I bought the, uh, I'm working my way through it, but I bought the collective shows for last year. So I'm sure I'll get to that match eventually. I'm, I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm going to flat out say I'm fully confident that that's at least a good match. If it's Jonathan Gresham, I can't imagine it being bad. Yeah. But I actually thought I was surprised by the end of this because I, I actually thought this was the one where Otani won the belt off of him, but um, I, I picked incorrectly. Um, but I was at, the way they were building it, it felt like this was going to be like Otani's big moment. He was going to get the win, and then he got mm-hmm. like he just fell <laughs> that short of it. Yeah. Um, Liar just <laughs> wiped him out with that Shote at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what that was one thing I had to ask before we got started is mm-hmm. how much like uh, you know I didn't see much in the way of you know like hardly anything in the way of fists out of Liger from what we were watching, and um, Brad was telling me that that's that's apparently pretty common in Japan is you don't see a lot of closed fist kind of work. No, it's a lot of slaps. Okay. It's a lot of like palm strikes and slaps yeah. and things like that yeah which makes this even weirder to me because that means that liger has a finish that is the equivalent of a running punch to the face i'll give a i'll give otani credit like his selling of that is fantastic i mean yes he it is inverted himself to to really sell like that's just like you got hit with a, a baseball bat in the face yeah he kind of cut a backflip out of it didn't he a little bit, or am I thinking of a different spot? <laughs> Say that again? It, did he, like, kind of cut a backflip out of it, or am I thinking of a different spot? I don't think he cut a backflip. He, okay. But he did, like, flip himself. Okay. He almost had, like, a Mr. Perfect type of sell for that. Kind of that, um, oh, kind of a, kind of a barrel roll sell, where you get hit with it and you go up and twist a little bit? Yeah. Okay, all right. That's what I was thinking of then. Um, there's watching watching these matches. There was a few things that kind of jumped out at me. Um, just in general, is is first of all, Liger kind of reminds, at least from watching these, because um, you guys mentioned that he was gonna do a heavy run and that didn't work out. But Liger kind of reminds me of the the best comparison I have is kind of of sting for an American counterpart in that he's kind of the ace 
who doesn't exactly fit into a category like, um, you know, technician or power guy or high flight. Like he kind of fits in all of those. So he's kind of the ace for everything. Um, you think that's a fair statement? Uh, yeah, I would say that. Okay. It's, it's also, uh, another note of wherever I saw it, uh, in these matches is the, um, the Liger bomb. Ah, uh, no, thank you. Cause there's way too much landing on the neck there. And, uh, I, that was not something I played around with. So, um, yeah, that, that kind of made me flinch a little. Uh, let me see. Were there any other notes I had in here that were. And dead air is great for a podcast, by the way, whenever everything gets really quiet. <laughs> oh, man. It, it was. Yeah, Brad already touched on the prevalence of tombstones and and that it, it it's it's very different than um, what I am uh, used to. I guess is the best way to put it. It's it's it does not uh, you know it 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 doesn't vibe with the the concept that I have the regular concept I have of wrestling, and that's not bad. It's just different. Take it, Matt. <laughs> I got. I'm. 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 I'm kind of stuck. Um. Yeah, he was. Uh, I would say Liger is probably like the, at least in terms of like the junior heavyweight division. Uh, he was basically like the ace, at least for the '90s. Uh, obviously, like in the early 2000s, he still. He still was very prevalent. Um. He was relevant till like probably 2008, 2009. Yeah. Because then he did, like, he was the leader of, like, the CTU thing for a long time, and um, he probably, I don't think he, I I would have to look, I, I think the last time he actually won the junior belt was probably, like, 2003, <clears throat> 2004. Let me try and look. Might be earlier than that. Because he, he won the, he was he became more of, like, like a tag team champion guy, but um... looking at the history, though, wow, wow! Last time he held it was in he held it in '99, and then lost it in um, July to uh, 2000. Wow. Really? Okay. So even yeah. So uh, but he would go on to apparently. I, I mean, I don't think I was aware of this. I guess he would go on to win like the the Open the Dreamgate title, the G, uh, G, Noah's Junior Heavyweight title. So yeah, I, I have that. I, I have the match he won <laughs> the Open the Dreamgate title mm-hmm. on DVD somewhere. And then I think his I think his NWA runs were in the the two thousands as well. Maybe even the two that the twenty tens because I I know like New Japan and was doing NWA stuff up until like twenty sixteen I think. Hmm. So I remember um I remember Ten Cozy got a got a run in there with the NWA tag titles. Yeah, they did. But so um so what 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 are 
what our plans going forward is we're going to be doing. Our next one, which might be next week, it might not be with the holiday weekend. Our next viewing is going to be uh, a Scott Norton showcase, uh, primarily from Japan. And um, I know one of the ones we're going to watch there is we're going to watch the, the Yuji Nagata one from 98, where he wins the IWGP title. And I have some other ones. Um, I have some other ones slated up. we got to see if I can find. So that's going to be next week or the week after. Um, and then we're going to do the J-Crown tournament. And then who knows where we'll go from there. <laughs> There's a lot of directions we could head, isn't there? Well, the thing is, like, Japanese wrestling is, like, very, um, there's a wide variety of stuff, especially in the 90s. Like, even, even, like, the Joshi is varied and has a lot of different companies you can peek in at. Okay, fair enough. It kind of seems like there's, there's more of a, um, the varied scene going on than there's been in the States for quite a while so yeah because like even even now you have like your you have your dragon gate which is like a which is like a very i don't know what they call it it's like a mix of lucha libre and Pereso. and then um there's like you have your joshi you have osaka pro still around which is um kind of like it's super delphin promotion so it's a lot of guys dressed up as like various sea critters <laughs> and um you have like big japan which is your deathmatch promotion you have ddt which is your american style satirical promotion um new japan and all japan are different obviously and noah's its own thing um so yeah it's it's a very it's very it's very diverse in their approach and the stars you get there and stuff like that Okay, well, then we... Did your boy JR work over there? He had an opportunity to. Um, it, I, that's probably still on the table. Um, he is friends with a wrestler who goes by the Fiji Wildman. And Wildman has uh, connections to a promotion in Japan that JR kind of had... Wildman basically has kind of a, a standing offer with JR about going to work um, work a tour in Japan. So, um, yeah, he hasn't, but if he does, I'll, I'll, I'll try and stay in the loop on it. So, yeah, that's, um, that's Hushin Liger. I think, um, one of the biggest names from, the Japanese circuit, and it was kind of timely because he did retire this year after, like, I don't know, almost 40 years in the ring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, 83 to 2020, almost my entire life. <laughs> and he's not, like, 70 years old. He's about, I think he's 55. Yeah. Uh, just a, a really cool note, uh, especially considering the match we saw earlier in his... Uh, his retirement match, it was a tag match where he fought, he faced off against uh, Hiromi Takahashi and Ru Lee, but his tag team partner was actually Naoki Sano. Huh. Yep, because they, well, they, they started about the same time and Sano retired about two days after Liger did. Yeah, so it's a weird, um, 
a weird but very like almost like beautiful uh, kind of ending chapter to their feud and their friendship. It's really cool. Huh. Yeah. Well, it was it was it was it was it was rough like his last matches cuz it was like I got choked up. Yeah, I was very fortunate that uh obviously like corona shut everything down this year, but the prior year when it was WrestleMania weekend at uh in New York, uh I was able to watch him in a match uh on the Wrestle the WrestleCon uh, Super Show that Thursday mm-hmm. night, I got to see him in a tag match, uh, and I got to see him at the the, the New Japan uh, Madison Square Garden show. He actually uh, he was in that Battle Royal, which also had Great Muda at the very end. But uh, and they that's and Ring Ring of Honor being so stupid mm-hmm. did that face off with them and had Kenny King toss them yep. because that's what people wanted to see. Yeah. <laughs> And they wonder why 20 people show up for their shows. Yeah. <laughs> they had a great one in the lead up there doing like his retirement tour in Japan. And mm-hmm. he wrestled Suzuki and Suzuki beat him and grabbed a chair like he was going to um, to smash him with it. And then drop the chair and just like bowed in like a sign of respect for him and left. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is really cool. A uh, funny uh, tidbit to that is that uh, Liger has done one mixed martial arts match in his career. Uh, it was a 2002 match, uh, and the person he faced was Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, lost. <laughs> lost in like two minutes. But uh, it does show that, like, I mean, in real life, like, I'm sure Suzuki has a lot of respect for Liger, and who knows, they might be friends. If not, if, if Suzuki can have friends that he doesn't. I mean, I think we, I think I, I think we, I think you and I said it when he retired, but like, when you talk about the legends of wrestling, like he is a legend, like among legends. Yes. I mean, he's our, he's arguably like the best, like light heavyweight, junior heavyweight of all time. I would say he, he, he legitimately has an argument to being the best wrestler of all time. Like, I think he belongs That's fair in too, the yeah. conversation with mm-hmm. anyone. That's right. It's, it's kind of. In a way, it's unfair to like pigeonhole him, but certainly within that kind of in that realm, because that's where most of his career was. He's arguably the best of all time. But yes, he is probably easily in the top, at least top twenty, and probably lower than that. But uh, and I mean, I, my respect even grew for him tonight because he had a he had a plunder match that was amazing. <laughs> he did, yeah. I, I'm still. I'm gonna be like. I'm gonna be stuck on that match for a long time. Like that is the. That is just. I didn't think wrestling could surprise me anymore. But man, that match just was eye-opening. It, I wish I had more to say, but I, I am. I'm kind of I'm kind of stuck here. So, do you guys have anything else you'd like to say before we close it out? No, I think I'm good. Matt, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about being the buzzkill there, guys. But no, it's nope. it's fine. Um, so, <clears throat> Yushin Liger. Um, like we said, these matches are all available on Daily Motion. Uh, one of them's on YouTube. So, 
Uh, feel free to look them up. Let us know what you think. We would love to hear from you on social media. Um, is there something we missed? Is there, you know, what did you see about this you liked? Uh, please hit us up. And this is Shad here with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we will see you next time.